And Father, we thank you, God, for your presence in this place. We thank you that you are real and we're in the midst of you reviving us. You are reviving us. You are restoring us. You are renewing us into the new things, into your new promises, God. I thank you, Father, that every single person that is here today, that's hearing the sound and hearing the sound of my voice, Father, I thank you that they will step into breakthrough today. They will step into victory today. They will step into deliverance today. That the old is gone and the new has come today. Right now in this very moment. And Father, I pray and I ask you for a spirit of wisdom, a spirit of revelation, a spirit of understanding, a spirit of counsel, and a spirit of conviction to rest upon us as we hear your word, Father. That every person's heart is open and willing to receive the good seed, a hundredfold seed upon good ground today, God. That every person here is good ground, ready to bear a harvest for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen, Amen, Amen. Have a seat. Thank you, everybody. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. We'll read from verse 14. Today, I need you to pay attention because this is revelation that we've not released into our church. Uh, and it will really distinguish your past season from your next season. Okay? Very, it is very important. If you love prayer, uh, intercession, all that kind of stuff, then today is your day. All right? If you like talking to God, today is your day. All right? So Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Wow. That we may obtain mercy. Whew. Let us come, therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. It's amazing that the writer of Hebrews is saying that Jesus passed through the heavens. Why, do he, why does he need to pass through the heavens? You need to understand that the, that the tabernacle of Moses was the shadow of what heaven was like. Okay? And... The priest in the tabernacle would go in from one room into another room into another room, but the uh, from the outer court into the inner court, and but the holy of holies was a place that he could only enter in with blood. Okay, so Jesus passed when when it says that Jesus passed through the heavens, it means he passed through everything, all the obstacles. Everything that could hinder, every room, the outer court, the outer heaven, the inner heaven, and the most holiest place where God dwells. He passed through it because of his blood. He went into the heavens before the, 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 the throne of God and he offered his blood, an innocent blood for all mankind. That means you now have full access into the presence of God, the most holiest place in God's presence because of Jesus. Are you with me? So as Jesus was passing through the heavens like that, when you believe in him, you pass through the heavens. That's why I started 
I ended worship by waking you up a little bit by saying, praise and worship does not take you into the presence of God. Do you understand? We've been groomed to believe that when I sing and shout and praise, then I, I, I get into God's presence. No, God's presence, you're not looking to get in. You've, you're already in. The day you believe Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you've now entered in. <laughs> when you enter in, people don't look around. <laughs> you don't look around to see what is in this place. It's so beautiful. People only get in to get something and they think they get out. <laughs> Jesus made a way in. He never made a way out of the presence of God. Come on now. He made a way into God's presence, into the most holiest place, but he never made a way out. There's no escape. You're stuck. It's a good, good place to be stuck. Today I'm going to speak dimensionally, okay? So the writer of Hebrews is saying that Jesus entered in and he's entered into the throne of grace to receive mercy. Okay, listen to me very carefully. He's entered into the throne of grace. What is grace? It's God's ability, it's nature, his power to receive mercy, which means you've entered into the place where you receive the throne of mercy. God is able to give you mercy. That's what it means. When he says that, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need so what he's saying is come boldly before God don't consider you your um, immaturity your lack of years of Christendom your uh, you know your, your perfection of religion all of that kind of stuff just just leave it aside don't worry about it just come as you are but come boldly into the presence of God but come boldly before the throne of grace. What is grace? God's ability. It's a throne that you come that God sits on. He's, he is able to give you mercy. Every time you ask for mercy, he's able to give you mercy. How many of you understand? For you to live, you need God. For God to move, he needs to give you mercy. For, you, for your salary to come into your bank account, you need mercy. For you to live by, by the grace of God, you need mercy. And so he's saying, come to the throne of God where you can obtain mercy and grace. Why? Because we need it. He's saying, so what this means is that when salvation is, a, is, a, is an act, it's an experience and a work in progress. Every time the Lord begins to should reveal to us areas of our lives that are not yet renewed, that we have the, the areas of our mind that are not yet renewed, we've got to go to God before his throne and his throne of mercy and we've got to go in boldly, which means God wants you with your junk. A lot of times Christians try to get rid of the junk and then get into the presence. No, the Bible says that come in as you are. 
Come in boldly as you are. Don't be timid. Don't be shy. Don't be fearful of this God who wants to give you mercy. He wants to be merciful before you. He wants to be merciful to you. So the, so the writer of Hebrews is saying, let us come boldly. Say boldly. Any bold people in this church? Awesome. So before we get deeper into what I have to say, okay, I want you to know that God loves you. <laughs> okay? God loves you. According to the book of Ephesians chapter 1, he says that he has already released blessings. In all spiritual blessings in the heavens has already been released to you. You don't have to ask God to bless you anymore because he has already released you. Released blessings over your life. Okay? Which means his love for you is so much that he has already made the provision of blessing for you. So if you go to God and say, bless me, bless me, bless me, God's not going to bless you. Because he already has made the provision of blessing for you. Okay, so you, do you understand what's happening? Right? Just like Jesus made the provision for healing 2,000 years ago. Today you can step in and say, I'm healed. You're celebrating healing more than you're celebrating a blessing. You need to understand, we've been, this religion that we've really that has gone into our lives, that has really been a hindrance in our relationship with God, in our walk with God, for you as a, as, for your rights as a Christian, as a child of God. We have been living powerless Christian lives because of a lack of knowledge. And you come into a church like this for the first time or maybe from, from, from day one and every time it seems like, oh my God, I don't even feel like I'm saved. I need to give my life to Jesus all over again. It's a good thing. It's a very good thing. It means that you're being saved. You don't, you don't just reach. If you reached, you would be in heaven. You have not reached. Which means you're still a work in progress. So touch your neighbor and say, have mercy on me, man. <laughs> Please have mercy on me, man. <laughs> yeah. For many years, you know, I've watched, um, I've, I've been a, by the way, my, the title of my sermon is The Throne of Mercy. All right? Yeah. So many years I've, I've watched, uh, I've seen Christians, I've watched uh, Christians live powerless Christian lives. Uh, and it's been, it's been quite shocking because the enemy has made them to beg God for something they already have an authority for. How do I know that? Is because you're still asking God to bless you. You're still asking your pastor, Pastor, can you pray a blessing over my life? If you fully understood your right as a child of God, then you won't ask God to bless you. You will live like you're blessed. We've got to mature into this place of, man, I am blessed and now I'm living to be a blessing. A lot of the times, the reason why we ask God to bless us is because we don't know our rights. Today you're going to find out your rights. And because we don't know our rights, we've been living powerless lives because we hand over 
power and authority to the enemy who shuts the heavens over our lives. Wow. Wow. Ooh, I, <laughs> I know it's going it's to get deep. The book of Hosea says, chapter 4 and verse 6 says, People perish because of a lack of knowledge. In other words, perish, it means my people are destroyed because they don't know my will for their life. They don't know what's written in that book. God has a perfect will for each one. And only you need to know that will. And when you know that will and you start living according to his will for your life, now you actually start walking in authority. You start living in authority. You start having power. You, when you, you understand that God has made the provision for blessing over your life, you will now take what is yours rather than ask for what is yours. There's a difference between begging God and saying, God, give me, God, please heal me, God, deliver me, God, please, God, 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 when Jesus had already done it 2,000 years ago. The provision for your finances, for you to get out of debt is already made. But the choices that you make to get into debt tells the enemy that you still don't know your rights as a Christian. The choices we make every single day really tells God and it tells the realm of the spirit and it tells the, 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 the enemy that this guy doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know God. And that's why Christians for years have been perishing. If you only know that God has made you righteous before him. You are right standing with God. And you have rights on the earth. Jesus has made you right standing with God. The minute you are right standing with God, now you have rights on the earth. You don't walk around like a little cat. You're a lion. I'm trying not to get excited too early before my message because I, I'm telling you, it's going to get so good today. Sometimes there are hindrances, legal rights that the enemy has because of choices that we make. And these choices come really from an unrenewed mind. Do you understand what I'm saying? When your mind is not renewed with the word of God, we make choices that really bind us. We make decisions that really empower the enemy to attack us. Let me tell you something. That no demon in hell can touch you. You understand? When you, when you receive, when you start believing in Jesus, no demon in hell, under hell, on top of the earth, wherever, in any building, however big, how scary, whatever the description, can not touch you. You understand? You understand? But you can open the door. You can open the door for the enemy to touch your life. How do you do that? Unrenewed mind. When you make choices that are not according to the character and nature of Christ. When you start making choices and decisions. You make decisions that are really like, oh, against the will of God. Now, you're opening, you're giving him a right to touch your life.
And some of us have been wondering why I've been praying for my husband for so many years. Listen to me very carefully, okay? I've been praying for my parents to get saved. I've been praying for my children to get saved. I've been praying for my finances. I've so many years, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years, and you're still praying, still praying, and still praying. The problem is that you're fighting a war on the earth without knowing your rights in heaven. If you only understand what your rights are with God and your authority on the earth, now it would completely change the equation. If you understood, if you lived a life knowing that the enemy is a defeated foe, that God has taken his power and given it to you now, you will learn to make choices that will not empower the enemy. In fact, it will empower grace in your life. Are you listening to me? There are consequences to choices. And these consequences, these choices, give the enemy a foothold in our lives. And when they have a foothold in our lives, they create blockages. Right now, the Lord is showing me that the enemy has a grip on people's minds. A vice grip on people's minds. Listen to me very carefully. I need your ears to hear, not your mind to understand. There's, I can see a, a vice grip on a person's mind, on people's minds like this. And it's because people have told you that you are stupid. You are good for nothing. You are dull. If that is you, right now I need you to repent and say, God, forgive me for believing a lie. Don't look at me. Repent. It's a different church. We act on the word. So, hey, hello. Do it now. Do it now. Don't be ashamed. They're making a statement to the realm of the spirit. If you've ever heard anything negative that has hindered you from being who God has created you to be, smart, intelligent, fast, brilliant, just remove that chain off your mind now. Remove it. Just remove it by saying, God, I repent for believing a lie. I ask you to forgive me. And now I step into righteousness. I step into my right as the way you've created me. God did not create you to be a fool. God did not create you to be dull. God created you to be sharp like the word. God created you to be, to be intelligent, to be smart, to be, to be, in, to, to be enterprising. Do you understand? God's presence, right now, I'm going to shift how church is done, okay? I'm going to, <laughs> for whatever we knew all this long while was good, I'm going to shift it again, okay? We've always assumed that when we come to church or we come into the presence of God, that God's presence was about worship, was about about the word, intimacy, miracles, signs and wonders, and all that kind of stuff, and it's good. But I need you to open your heart to this dimension as well that I'm about to tell you. And the dimension is this, that God is a king who sits on a throne to judge. I need you to open your heart to this dimension that God who's your father is also your judge. Oh, but we don't live according to the law. 
trust me, some of the choices that you make, you need him to be a judge over it. Why? Because he's looking to judge you as righteous. You cannot have, there are certain miracles in your life that haven't been happening. There have been, been blockages in your life, that, that there have been hindrances in your life for years and years and years and years and years. And those miracles, those prayers to be answered, you need a judge to judge over your case. And you must open your heart and mind to this fact that this is a courtroom where God is sitting on the throne and you are pleading your case. It will completely change how you pray. It will completely change how you plead your case. It will completely change how you communicate to God. You, you need to understand that, that when you talk to your dad, you know, we, we, we think that God is like our earthly dads. What's up, man? You know, hey, chill. Hey, you know, dude, hey, man, what's up? What's up? You know, what's up? Hey, man. No, no, no. When you go into a courtroom, do you think you can talk to a judge like that? What's up, judge? He'll throw you out. <laughs> do you understand? There's a, there's a language. There's a, there's a legal language that gives you access to the judge. And we've been asking God, I'm praying for my husband, I'm praying for my visa, I'm praying for cases, I'm doing all the kind, I'm casting out demons and fighting demons and, and oh, the demon came from this religion and that demon came and they attacked me in my sleep. Like, hello? Like, what is, what is happening to you? Do you even know who you are? Do you even know whose you are? Do you even know what your rights are? Have you ever pleaded your case? By your silence, I'm assuming not. But today we're going to. If you thought the miracle signs and wonders, all these testimonies that we've had so far was because of, of, it was because of a man and a woman who decided to stand before God on your behalf. Do you understand? We spend the entire week praying for you, fighting on your behalf, standing in the, in, in the courts of heaven and saying, God, your people are struggling in their finances. God, I'm asking you to have mercy on them. How do you think you're having your breakthroughs? Hmm? How do you think we get prophetic words? How do you think we have miracle signs and wonders? Do you think we earn it? It's because of his mercy. Every miracle is a case that is won in heaven. You understand? We're not playing games. It's not fun and games. It's life or death. If you don't plead your case before God, man, the enemy will fool you to live below your standard. And people have been okay with being sick. People have been okay with just you know, allowing, uh, you know, that's family members are passing away. How dare the enemy touch your body? How dare the enemy touch your finances? How dare the enemy touch your body? How dare the enemy touch your family member? You should stand before God and say, Judge, give me my rights. The problem with Christians is because the conscience is so guilty because of your choices. You stand before God and be like begging, God, please, I'm a sinner, God. I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. And so the enemy has full right over you. 
Because you're giving it over to him. Every time you listen to the voice of the enemy and you obey it, you're handing over territory to him. I repeat myself again. Every time you disobey God, you are obeying someone. When you obey the voice of the enemy, you may not recognize it because you don't hang out with him too often. When you, when you hear that and it's against the will of God, now you're empowering him in your life. And he takes a foothold and then the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. If you look at your body, if you look at your finances, look at a family, look at your education, look at your job, look at your friends around you, you will look at it and tell me the evidence whether God is there or the enemy. Look at the proof. Look at the fruit of what God is doing in your life. And you tell me whether you are living the righteous life that God has called you to live. Are you living the victorious life that God has called you to live? Are you living like a son who's in authority, a daughter who's in authority? Are you with me? We've got to wake up church. We've got to wake up to this war that we're in. We're not sitting down and playing marbles called church. We're not sitting down and playing ringa ringa roses. Listen to me. You're in a war and your life or death is in what the decisions that you make. There are people today who are choosing to live illegal lives. Illegal in the kingdom. Sleeping around with whoever they want. Doing whatever they want to do without seeking God's will. It may look harmless, but let me tell you, a harmless choice that is not God's choice for your life will give the enemy a foothold in your life. He will come in and he'll put the foot in the door and little by little, little by little, little by little, he will have more power, more power, more power and authority. And one day you will sit in church going, what the heck am I doing here? What has happened to my life? I used to be on fire for God, but now it's like, what's happening to my, what's happening to my life? If you're in this place, today's your day for breakthrough. Today's your day for breakthrough. Let me tell you something. When Jesus walked the earth, he did not walk on the earth as a timid, begging Christian. He knew his right before the father and he knew his right and authority on the earth. Every time he, he saw somebody who was sick. What does, what does that mean? It means that the enemy has a foothold in that person's life. Even if it is a headache. You've made a bad choice. When he saw Jesus walked around the, the, the earth healing the sick, casting out demons, cleansing the lepers, preaching the gospel. He did all of that stuff. What was he doing? He was taking territory. In the book of Genesis, for those of you who are looking at me like, you don't know what I'm talking about. In the book of Genesis, when man sinned and fell, they handed over the earth to the enemy. They handed authority to the enemy. How do I know that? Because when Jesus was being tempted, Satan came to him and says, all these kingdoms I will give you. If you obey me. Hello? Are you with me? So every time a person gets healed, every testimony. In this church, every testimony. 
means that the kingdom is advancing. We're taking back everything that the enemy has stolen. We're taking back one person, one life at a time. We're taking back our rights. We're not sitting being idle, we're taking it back. You must be wondering why we haven't had offering yet. Trust me, you will want to sow into this word today. Are you with me? So we have Jesus now in, in, in John chapter 14 and verse 30. He says this. He says, the hour is coming. I have to keep quiet now. I'm not going to talk anymore. But the ruler of this world is coming. Listen to me very carefully what Jesus says. But he has nothing in me. What does it mean? It means that that guy has no hold. He has nothing. There's no, I have not obeyed him at all. He has no authority in my life. Not religion. Not anything else. The ruler of this age. I have not obeyed him. And because I've not obeyed him, he has nothing in me. Let me tell you what 1 Peter says about, about that. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. It says this. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, that's a legal term. Remember, we're talking about a court. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We're not talking Old Testament here. We're talking about New Testament. He's a defeated foe, but he's walking around looking. Is, are these people obeying my lies? Are these people obeying God's word or are they obeying my word? Because if they obey his word. Now, even if you're a Christian, you open the door for the enemy to have hold over your life. Listen, he doesn't come... He doesn't come to make you feel nice. He comes to devour you. Please listen to me where if this is a church that is advancing. We're progressive church. We're not sitting down enjoying doing church. If that's what you want, I can recommend many churches in this city. But if, you, if you're okay being at the forefront of the battle, right in the front, then this is the place for you. If you want to take on the enemy, if you want to step forward boldly, if you want to grow as a child of God, you've got to learn to be on the front lines. On the front lines. Not wait for Pastor John to go forward. On the front lines. I am here, ready. I have my sword in my hand. I have my shield of faith in my other hand. I'm ready to take ground. God, speak your word. Speak your word. Speak your word. Who is sick? Who is dead? Let me go and raise the dead. Let me go and heal the sick. Let me cast out demons. We're not sitting down playing games, man. This is war. This is war. Let me tell you, you're in two types of wars. Okay, you expected a very nice message today. But this is a very nice message today. <laughs> We're in war. Two types of war. There's war on the earth and there's war in heaven. And you're a dimensional being. Can't help it. 
when Jesus saved you, you are in Christ seated in heavenly places and you're on the earth at the same time. So if you are too caught up fighting demons on the earth, it means that you're, you're not fighting them in heaven. If you're losing battles on the earth, if you're weak, oh pastor pray for me, I'm weak. I'm struggling with this sin. <laughs> Stop struggling, it's a choice. <laughs> Is that easy? I don't need to pray for you, I don't need to cast out any demons. Just go before God and understand who you are. It's as simple as that. You go before God and you just say, God, I've messed up. I come boldly before your throne of mercy. Why? Because I know you're a merciful God. You are ever, you're always loving. You're, you have tender mercies towards me. God, I know that you don't want to judge me. But I want you to judge me as righteous. Let me tell you something. If you want victory in your life, God has to judge you righteous. If he doesn't judge you righteous, you won't have your reward. You won't have the victory. Somebody else will have the victory. Let me tell you, Christians have been living unrepentant lives for so many years. To the point where you've even forgotten the little sins. The little lies. The little things. The little foxes. And when you stand before God, you stand weak, shamed guilty and the enemy stands with his list of accusations saying case number one at 1995 <laughs> case number two in 1996 why because for one you were enjoying that sin and then you you kind of like forgot about that sin and then there was another one and then another one. And then you went around to the clubs. And then you slept around. And then you did this. And you did that. And you drank. And you smoked. And you did all that kind of stuff. This is for people who are struggling. Who are being defeated. Who are, who are weak in that area. I want to tell you. If you take, go to him with that weakness. And say, God, I surrender my weakness to you. Let your strength be made perfect in my weakness. Now what you're doing is you're standing in the strength of God's righteousness. Now you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You've met the standard of righteousness. Now say God, judge. We're too scared to ask God to judge. You know why? Because we're guilty. And if we say, God, wait, judgment cannot be spoken about in church. Why? Because we're grace culture. Brother, grace, grace. No, Baba, for you to get grace, he has to judge you righteous. <laughs> please, please get it. Please get it. You need to understand that in order for you to have your breakthrough, he has to judge you righteous. And he has to judge somebody else unrighteous. If you get a victory, somebody has to get a defeat. If you get a victory, if he says you are victorious, which means the enemy has been put on notice for defeat. So he's saying, be sober. <laughs> be sober minded. Be vigilant, not be a vigilante. Be vigilant. Don't be, don't be drunk, basically what he's saying. 
Don't be drugged. Don't be complacent. Don't be, uh, don't be a procrastinator. Be vigilant. Because the enemy is walking around you, checking you out. When you go to the bathroom, he's watching what you do. When you're with your friends at a shisha joint, he's listening to what you say. The minute you gossip about someone, he's got a hold of you. The minute you have a wrong intention about someone, the way, and it's not the way Christ would look at somebody. Hold on, you've just handed over your life, your future blessings over to the enemy, and now he shuts it over your life. We've received prophetic words, man. Prophetic words that are so phenomenal. And people are walking in it. What about the rest? Believe the word. When you believe the word, you now step into the new. What is that? You've understood a greater revelation of righteousness. And when you step into a greater level of righteousness, now you stand boldly before God and say, God, that thing that you spoke about in the spirit, please listen to me. That what you said in the spirit, I will manifest in the flesh. You need to understand that you are a, a, a dimensional being. Your spirit and flesh at the same time. You're the only one who could bring something from the heaven to the earth. Angels cannot do it. God himself won't do it. He can, but he won't do it. Why? It's because he gave you authority over the earth. He gave you authority in that business. He gave you authority over your kids. He is the one who gave you authority uh, as, as a husband and wife. Where instead of begging God, God, please save my husband, please save my husband. Just go to God and say, God, I repent on behalf of my husband. Take authority. Stand before him and say, God, I repent on behalf of my children. The enemy has got a grip over them. I ask you to give me justice. 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 We need justice. We need mercy. We need the mercy of God. Let me tell you the word, and the word adversary means an accuser. It's actually a legal term. It's a prosecutor who stands there accusing you. Every time you make a mistake, he notes it down. And every time you go before God, he points it out. We're talking about New Testament. Please listen to me very carefully. For you to be judged, God needs a witness. Guess what your conscience is doing? It's testifying either on your behalf or against you. I'm glad you're getting this word. Let me tell you something. He says that the, the, the devil is like a roaring lion. Like. He's not roaring. He's like a roaring lion. Which means... Your f- mistake, your sin, 
gives him the power to roar over your life. And when he roars over your life, you wonder why you're so much in fear. Why are you afraid? Why are you so timid? Why are you so scared? It's because there's a lion who's roaring over your life. And that lion's name's not Jesus. Today, you will start making choices that are righteous. They are right choices. They are Christ's choices that will allow the real lion of Judah to roar over your life. Come on, somebody, give praise to Jesus. I would love for you to go to um, the book of Luke, chapter 18. We'll go a little deeper into this. Luke 18. It's a story about a persistent widow. Before I read that, I want to tell you this. Just look at me for one minute. Sometimes we have, we have come into a place in our walk with God that we depend on people to pray for us. We depend on, on John and Kelsey to give a prophetic word. And we don't understand that we can manifest victory in our life. Each one of you can manifest victory in your life. It's very easy because... All you need to do is you need to understand that when there's a prayer that is not being answered, it's not because God doesn't love you. He's already answered your prayer. There's an enemy that, is, that hates you that is blocking it. And you have to go before God and present a legal case. Do you understand? This is grace. Jesus made the way. In, what do you do after that? You're supposed to do something. We've been enjoying the, oh, I love your presence. And there's nothing wrong with it. Oh, I love your presence. Just think about it. You're going to a courtroom and you're saying, judge, I love your presence. <laughs> wow, angels all around us. Cloud of witnesses. Wow. What are they witnessing? They're in a courtroom. And they're sitting there listening to the judge of all creation. Why is he a judge? Why does God have to judge? Because he is the one who created us. <laughs> he is the only one. Jesus says, why do you call me righteous? Only the father is the righteous judge. Don't come to John. Asking John to judge between your issues. Go to the righteous judge who knows your heart issues. See, the problem is we go to man asking, oh, but I need counseling. I need counseling. I, I, need, I, need, I need counseling. Actually, what you need is the pastor to agree with your, with, your, with your heart. But if you were to go to God, God knows every detail of your heart. All the flaws you made, all the wrong thoughts you entertained, everything. And he says, before I give you victory, I don't want anything else to stop you from enjoying your victory.
So why can't we just deal with this right now? Do you understand? Before God gives judges between you and the enemy, he wants to deal with your heart. He wants to deal with that, the little things that nobody else, yeah, the little foxes, the little issues, the little pride. <laughs> but we mask it, Christians mask it as self-confidence. I'm confident. <laughs> You know you have an issue with pride when you're corrected. And it hurts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But when you're corrected, you'll be like, wow, thank you so much. I have something to take before God to deal with. I have something to stand before God and say, God, somebody pointed something in my life. Wow, thank you. This is an opportunity for victory. For me to stand in authority. And... Are you in Luke chapter 18? Yes. Brilliant. Verse 1. Then he spoke a parable. The word parable means, it's the word parablo. Okay? Which means there's a truth that is spoken on the side of truth. Which means it's truth that underlines truth. Which means there's a hidden truth in what Jesus is saying. That's what a parable means. Okay? So he spoke to them a parable that men always ought to pray. The women said, Amen. <laughs> we believed a lie that intercessors should only be women. That's just a load of rubbish. But anyway, then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. So what is prayer? Prayer is a dialogue with God. But Prayer in intimacy is different from a prayer in a courtroom. Do you understand? When you are praying to God, what you're doing is you're not saying, please go. If you go, just, just think, just think. If you are in a courtroom today and you have a case and you go into that case and you're praying and these are Christians pray Father in the name of Jesus I come to you Father Father I thank you thank you Jesus 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 Father I come I thank you for the angels I thank you thank you Father thank you he's like dude say something do you understand do you understand? We, we've created this religious way of talking to God. <laughs> father. Some, sometimes they forget who the father, who the son is. Father Jesus. I thank you, Father Jesus. <laughs> There's the Father Spirit. Father Spirit. His father is the spirit, he is the son. But you have to understand, there are, there are different expressions of the same person. You can't say, I'm, uh, uh, Jesus says, the only way to the father is through me. So he said, father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. It's a legal term. So stop doing what we do. Empty prayers. Father, father. And then some of us cry, father. I tell you, it doesn't work. Because you're not pleading your case. There's a place of intimacy with God that I'm not mocking. That place is beautiful. But when you need a breakthrough, 
the enemy has shut that your your money over your life shut a job situation over your life that you've been fighting for for so many years so many years so many years you you don't need to go and go i come into the presence i come no no you're already there <laughs> father 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 <laughs> and then we have mother mother mary joseph <laughs> anthony <laughs> we have so many like angles and god is like where are you going oh okay you're going to there you're going now you're on the cloud you're calling the cloud witnesses <laughs> do you understand when you stand before the judge there's a way that you conduct yourself whether you're on your knees or with your hands lifted up it doesn't matter but plead your case he said, pray. Men always ought to pray, which means you are always in the courtroom. If you want to experience victory on the earth, you have to experience it in the courtroom. I'll repeat myself again. If you want to experience victory on the earth, win your battles in heaven. I'm telling you, Kelsey and I have experienced such victory in our lives, especially with, with this church. This church exists because we've been doing this. I'm not preaching something I don't know. I, I live this life. I would, I would have angels would come to me and the Lord would say, I'm releasing judgment on the earth. <laughs> and previously, I'd be like, uh, you know, I'd be the good Christian. I was like, God, don't judge them. God, please, just don't release judgment because I did not understand what God was trying to do. What does judgment really mean? Yeah. And the Lord said, stop praying. Wow, come on. I'm going to judge you as victorious. Come you on. need to let me judge. Amen. Because if I don't judge, that thing that is blocking your life will not, will not break over your life. Right. Do you understand? And I said, God, he said, son, the reason why you are not allowing me to judge is because you are guilty of this, 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 this. I'll be like, God, but I'm not a sinner. He said, yes, you just have an unrenewed mind. And an unrenewed mind gives the enemy a foothold in your life. Do you understand? Are you in Luke 18? Awesome. So men always ought to pray. He didn't say beg. Prayer is not repeating vain words to God. Prayer is not begging, but communicating from a place of knowing. Do you understand? Look at me, please. I know I need to, I'm talking about locating, but please. When you sit with your mom and dad, do you go to your mom and dad and say, Mom, I come to you in dad's name. <laughs> If it is your will, can I please sit at the table? <laughs> you don't do that, right? You know exactly, mom, I'm hungry. Can I please have some food? If your kids don't talk like that, then they need to be taught. <laughs> they need to be taught the legal language of family. <laughs> and so Jesus is saying that men always, men and women always ought to pray. How many of you have a lifestyle of prayer? 
Yeah. If you don't have a lifestyle of prayer, I want to encourage you to develop one. You know why? Because you are not pleading your case. Prayer it doesn't make you close to God. Prayer gets victory in your life. Let me tell you something. When the disciples, the disciples did not, they could have asked Jesus anything. Jesus, teach me how to do miracle signs and wonders. They did not. They said, teach me how to pray. Because they understood that there was a link between Jesus' prayer life and the power that he walked in. Then he spoke a parable to them and men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Saying there was a certain, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regarded man. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. There's that term again. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her. Some of us in this room need to be avenged. Not become avengers, but avenge. Be avenged. Lest by her continual coming she wearies me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him though he bears long with them I tell you that he will avenge them speedily okay look at me now the situation is there are two judges. One is an unjust judge that thinks that God is like him. And there's a just judge who is God. The unjust judge says, this lady keeps begging me. Because she begs me, God must be like me suffering long. But eventually I will avenge her. Jesus says God is not like that. He suffers long with your sin and your issues he, because he wants, he's merciful. But when you pray, when you pray, yeah, he avenges you speedily. See, we have believed wrong that we have to go to God and beg and beg and beg God. Which means if the church comes together and prays, which means more prayers go to God, and then God will answer. That is not God. If you have an issue in your life, something has blocked over your life. You're not having breakthrough in, in a certain area. You go before God and plead your case. I really feel like I'm preaching to somebody in this room. You got to go before God for yourself and plead your own case. See, for, for a very long time, We've always said, listen to me very carefully now. We've always thought and said that I need to pray more. I need to fast more. I need to worship more. I need to give more. Then God will answer me. That's not a good father. So then why are my prayers not being answered? Pastor, can you please answer me this question? It's because of an unrenewed mind 
that has given a foothold to the enemy to stop you from manifesting the breakthroughs in your life. Oh, you know, my, my marriage is just falling apart. Well, I know someone that can fix that problem speedily. Oh, pastor, I'm in debt. I know a person that can fix it speedily. Oh, I'm sick in my body. Oh, I know a person that can fix it speedily. Listen, I stood here last week and I said, somebody's eyes are getting healed. Eyes got healed instantly. I said, I'm going to grow you tall. They grew tall instantly. You're going to lose weight. You lost weight instantly. Don't have to wait till tomorrow. Don't have to wait for next season. I need to fast more, brother. I have to give more into the kingdom. This investment kind of mindset is not kingdom. You need to understand that what this will set you free, people. This lifestyle. If you, if you develop this lifestyle of saying, God, even a little issue in my life, a little sin, a little slip, a little, um, uh, you had a, a brain freeze moment, whatever it was, God is not condemning you about it, but you've got to go to God and say, God, please give me mercy. Why? It's because I don't want the enemy to have a foothold in my life or my family or my finances or my children or any church member in my We've got to come in that place. You know why we are in this place, Kelsey and I? Because God chose us because of the righteous lifestyles that we live. The power that flows in our lives. I can step into your life and I can prophesy a breakthrough only because I understand where I am. I understand the case that I fought for you. I understand that I've won the case in heaven and I stand here on the earth and I declare your breakthrough. No demon in hell will stand in before me because I've already won the case. If you won the case, you now have confidence in Christ. Are you with me? Stop crying. Stop fighting with people. Stop it. Stop trying to prove your boss is wrong. Don't do that. Stop trying to prove your husband it's, it's his fault, your wife's fault. Stop doing it. Just go before God and go to the one who can just make you white as snow. And then he can judge. Do you understand? There are three primary ways that I want to teach you that the enemy can have a legal right in our lives. Today is a teaching, okay? This is still part of the mercy series because you need to understand that this is mercy, okay? So three primary ways that the enemy can have a legal right in your life. The first one is a legal term called transgression. And what it means is an act that goes against a law, rule, or a code of conduct. In our case, it means that we have knowingly or unknowingly crossed a line we should not have crossed. You know what I'm talking about. You know when you're not supposed to do something. And you know that God's told you not to do it. And you deliberately do it. You've transgressed the nature of God. Are you with me? When you know that you cannot have another idol 
before God in your life. And he needs to be the only one. And you choose to have music as an idol. <laughs> Simple things like that. Cigarettes, alcohol, pornography. Whatever it is that, that takes the place, that makes you obey it. Now you've transgressed. You've transgressed. You've crossed a line you shouldn't have crossed. It allows the enemy to have a foothold in your life. We know that sin separates us from God and when we make choices that cause us to miss the mark of Christ's nature and character, we're giving the enemy a foothold in our lives. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1 says, Little children, this is New Testament. Little children, I write to you these things so that you may not sin. He's talking to Christians. He's saying, little children, I write this to you so that you don't sin. But even if you do, <laughs> you haven't... Uh, what is that? It's a legal term. He did not say you have a brother. He didn't say you have a pastor. Not an apostle, not a prophet, not a preacher, not a teacher, not nothing. He says, you have an advocate, you have a lawyer. And if you sin, you can go before God boldly and now the advocate can speak on your behalf. You may not have the right words to say. You may not have the, the right heart attitude. You may, but at the same time, you're like, I know what I've done is wrong. As soon as you did it, I know I've trans, ah, I know I've made a mistake. God, I was weak in this moment. You go to your father through Jesus and you say, Jesus, speak a better word. Jesus, speak a better word on my behalf. And when the father hears Jesus, he judges you as righteous. But it has to come from a place of repentance. It cannot come from a place of tolerating sin, but saying, I need a blessing. You cannot tolerate sin. You cannot fellowship with the devil and God at the same time. There has to be a leaving and a cleaving. You have to leave the old and behold cleave to the new. You cannot compromise with God. You cannot. You cannot. Let me tell you. You can. Please don't, don't get me wrong. You can. Okay. You can live that lifestyle and God is long suffering. And he'll wait for the moment when you hit the wall. When your sin, the Bible says that, that to, to, to some people, Paul says, hand them over to their sin. Let their sin consume them. When your sin has consumed you, then you call out to God and he is faithful and just to forgive you. Why do you need to wait to that time when the minute you make a mistake, you stand before him and say, Father, I ask for your mercy. I repent. I change the way I think. I ask you for forgiveness. Release your mercy over me so that the enemy does not have a foothold in my life. We've got to live like this, man. I'm telling you, Kelsey and I, we micromanage our thoughts micromanage my god micromanage why it's because the bible tells us to micromanage our thoughts he says take every thought captive you can't have a brain freeze moment in the kingdom of god you 
can't say, oh, I, I, was, I was just tired, you know. Said, no, no, no. Even in your tiredness, you've got to be vigilant. Because the enemy is roaring. He's coming like a roaring lion to you. He's coming to look and see. Hmm. What is he doing? Is he living righteous? Is he following grace? Is he in grace or is he in the law? Let me tell you something. Are you okay? Yes. You look a little heavy. It's good, isn't it? Good, isn't it? Yeah. Huh? Let me tell you something. The enemy, Satan, the devil, not your friend. He's a legalist. He's a legalist. And he will hold the letter of the law against you. When you choose to live outside of grace and you choose to live in the law, trust me, brother, trust me, sister, he will hammer you. <laughs> you will be tossed. Nicely. Nicely. Stir fried. <laughs> Properly. Your life will be an absolute mess if you choose to live under the law. Why? Because the law only causes you to sin. And when you sin, he's waiting. Put a foot in the door. <laughs> Got him. Now let me tempt him a little bit more. Two foot in. Three foot. Before you know it, you're consumed. And now, instead of fulfilling God's will for your life, you're fulfilling his will for your life. And then you're wondering, oh, it just started, oh, just innocent, oh. There's no innocent sin. <laughs> Please, this, this, our church will change from this day on. You've got to hear the truth because the truth will set you free. I'm telling you, there is no pastor on the planet who preaches like this. And I'm not asking you to clap for me because I am under pressure from a God who's teaching me like this. And he says, hey, you just tell them exactly what I tell you. There's no personal like agenda here. Okay. I am under scrutiny as much as you are. And I live this life. I live a micromanaged life. In fact, if I make one thing that is out of the, one mistake out of, that is out of the character of Christ, my wife goes, hey, you're just way better than that. Why did you do that? There's no condemnation here. There's like, oh, you are a sinner. Go, go repent before God. No, no, no. You're way better than this. You shouldn't be acting below the nature of Christ. I mean, as simple as opening the door in anger. Yeah. Or you have an argument with the boss. Slam the door and walk away. It's like, oh. We have an argument with your husband and a wife. Just slam the door and walk away. You slam the door, somebody's put his foot in. You never really slammed the door. You just opened the door. I would, I would, suggest, I would suggest this. Slam the door, go on your knees and say, God. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> and then on your knees, go, go to your wife and say, sorry. <laughs> Are you okay? Transgression. Okay? Transgression. Second one. These are all legal terms, okay? 
You might feel like, whoa, 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 what is this? It's iniquity. Second one is iniquity. What does iniquity mean? It means gross injustice or wickedness. Guilt worthy of punishment. Iniquity is sin at its worst. Iniquity is premeditated sin that grows and continues to grow and escalates. Sin that starts off innocently, experimenting, <laughs> and then eventually becomes detrimental. Can I give you an example? You're so eager to ask for the example. I'll give it anyways. <laughs> let's, say, let's say you're in school, okay? You're a child, a kid in school, and uh, all your friends were smoking. And you're like eager to experiment. And you're like, wow, dude, you started smoking. <coughs> first time, and then and your, all your friends laughed at you. <laughs> what a guy, new, new, first time, first time. How many of you experienced that? Yeah, yeah. Some of you are not putting your hand up. Don't lie in the presence of God. Just remember, you're opening, in church, you're opening a door. The Bible says that he's like a roaring lion. It doesn't say where. So when I ask you a question, be truthful. Okay? These are the little foxes. So how many of you struggle with that? Very good. <laughs> He's standing up. <laughs> but anyway, so, so initially it was that first drag, that first fag, that first cigarette, that first thing. Oh, and then everybody was excited sharing cigarettes. And oh, wow, there's such a camaraderie amongst the brethren. And, and everybody was like, wow, man, look at that. Oh, what cigarette you got? Oh, what cigarette you got? And then, and, and then the rich dude comes out of the packet. <gasps> Packard, come on! For those of you who did not struggle with this, just know our, know our problems. Just, uh, I'm just sharing our difficulties, you know. Kelsey did not even sip wine till the day she married me. That's how holy she was. She is amazing. I love it. No, seriously, man. After she married me... <laughs> she became holier. And she made me holy. I tell you, you know, I get gifted bottles of alcohol from people in church. And they, they're in my house. We just hardly ever, hardly ever. But it's, we, we don't, we don't, alcohol doesn't have me. You understand? Wine doesn't drink me. When I want, I have authority over it. So don't be religious. People, I can see religion. Just like, oh, hold on, hold on. Just chop it, chop it. That's the foothold. Your religion gives the enemy a foothold. Don't be more holier than what, how God sees you. Okay? Right. So, my story. Sorry. Story. So, first, at first, it starts with that little high, that little buzz, that little excitement. And then, from one cigarette, it becomes two. Before you know it, you're taking pride in smoking. I smoke a pack. <laughs> I smoke a pack a day, man. A pack. Like, what pack? You become black. Like your lungs are becoming black. You know, what, what pack you're talking about? And then, and then it's not enough. You see how you open the door and now the door is becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. Before you know it, you're looking for the next high. 
And then from there you go to weed and from weed, I don't know what else is after that. <laughs> but, but eventually you go down a, a road where you now are selling your clothes for drugs. You're selling your mother's gold and all the stuff. You're selling your car so that you can have that fix. What's happened is an innocent experiment has gone down a road where the sin itself has consumed you. Some of you are looking at me with like, trust me, if I did not have to, if my mother did not pray for me, if my mother did not fight for me, I wouldn't be standing here today. Do you understand? No matter what, no matter what you may think about your parents, they pray for you, man. I love my parents. I love Kelsey's parents because they pray for us. They stand in that place where they fight on behalf of us. Do you understand? Don't stop praying. Pray all the time. Iniquity. Iniquity is you lying on your bed and plotting. Iniquity is not sin. It's the character behind the sin. Do you understand? When you're, when you're lying on your bed and you're, and, you're, and you're plotting about what's going to happen in the office and the gossip that is happening in the office and you're plotting, what should I say? What shouldn't I say? What should I do? What shouldn't I do? How do I plot this? How do I, how do I escape from this? How do I do that? How do I put a, a snare for this person and that person? When you're in that place, you've already opened the door for the enemy. Let me tell you, gossip. Gossip is iniquity. It's being consumed. It's not only you are consumed, but you're consuming the other person. You're vomiting junk on another person's ears. And that junk now, like, like venom, and just takes over you. Let me give you another example. Racism. What is racism? You're plotting against another person. You're plotting evil against another person. It first starts as a thought, a preference. And then it eventually comes into a place of literally doing something about it. Let me tell you something. When you have a thought in your mind, eventually you will do something about it. So why don't you have good thoughts? Why don't you have God thoughts? Right? When you have God thoughts, you will actually function and do something for the kingdom of God. Racism is of the devil. racism, I will tell you because you're not celebrating it. You know why? Either you've been a part of it or you've been a victim. But I want to tell you something. Whether you're a victim or you've done it, racism is from the pit of hell. And we won't tolerate it. Understand? No tolerating it. Oh, you might say, well, brother, uh, we live in the 21st century. 21st century, racism is rampant. Go to your offices and, and look at your salary versus another person's salary. What were your comments? Oh, no, no, no. They are, you know. Yeah. They have a European passport. Oh, no, they are locals. They, 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 they get better. No, that's racism. You've allowed a lie to infiltrate into your heart. When was the last time that God gave you a job and said, oh, no, you, 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 there's racism in this, in, this, in, this, in this company, so that's why I brought you here? No. 
He brought you as a free child. He brought you as a son and a daughter of royalty. You go in there, what you negotiate your own package, man. Because you are confident in who God created you to be. It's got nothing to do with color. It's got nothing to do with boundaries that separate people. We have to learn to embrace people just the way. We all bleed red. There's nobody who bleeds blue. I think I need to spend a few more minutes on this because I just feel like there's a little bit of religion in that area. Racism is from hell. Racism is the idea of the devil. You know why? It's because sin separates us from God. Anything that separates you from people is of the devil. Whether you're from India, from the Philippines, from Sri Lanka, Pakistan, we're all one. We're all one. We're all one. Please. Please. The third thing, motives and intentions. The first was transgressions, second was iniquity, and third is your motives and intentions. Your, mo your motives and your intentions before God and the enemy speak louder than your voice. You could have a motive in your mind or an intention in your mind and it will shout louder than anything else. And you may have to pay attention to this part because this is where we all make mistakes. When Job, not Steve Job's, Job in the Bible, in, in the, fir the first and the second chapter, it talks about, God talks about Job as a righteous man. Like there's nobody on the planet like him. Phenomenal guy. He's talking to the devil, saying, look at Job. There's no one like him. But Job had an issue. God saw him as righteous. But Job was afraid that his kids, God was going to punish him because of the sin of his kids. So every time his kids went out to party from each other's houses, he would take an offering the next morning and go before God. And he would offer to God, a sacrifice to God on behalf of his children. What is that? Manipulation. Let me tell you something. Your sacrifice, the intention of your heart, the motives in your heart influence the voice of your sacrifice. We've come into the presence of God and we're worshiping and we're singing and we're dancing and we're doing all that kind of stuff and we have an issue with the guy sitting next to us. <laughs> I'm just getting ready now. If you thought the message was heavy till now, just wait. Huh? That's why I said in the beginning of the message, God loves us. So that you can bear this truth. Huh? Listen. You come before God and you're on the worship team and you're singing, you're jumping and dancing or, or you're standing in the back with your arms crossed. Whatever it is that you do, if you lift it up to God as an offering, as a sacrifice of praise and you have an issue with your boss, you have an issue with your wife, your motives are wrong, your intentions are wrong, you have an issue with the pastor. Yeah. 
Hello. And you're in his church. And you're coming and you're, and you're bringing an offering and you're putting it, oh, put it, I sow seed into that testimony. No, no, you're not sowing a seed into a testimony. You're sowing a seed that is influenced by your intention. That issue that you have, that sin issue that you have, that problem that you have with somebody is now gone before God and it is speaking on your behalf. There's a voice that speaks on your behalf. It can either be the blood or defilement. You choose. We come here and we think that what we're doing is just church. God's looking at your heart. God is looking at your motives. And we wonder, why am I not? I'm going to this church, man. Every, everybody around me seems to be getting blessed. What the heck? I, I, nothing's happening to me. Hello. Have you checked your heart before you checked into this room? Have you checked your motives before you walked into this room? Have you, have you truly learned to love the way God loves you? Have you truly learned to love one another the way God loves you? How, how, oh, but, but he's doing this, she's doing this. So what? You don't have to take it. You don't have to take it to heart. You don't have to allow what they're doing to pollute your mind. You go before God and you say, God, I bring you my sacrifice that is holy, that is blameless, that is without blemish, that is without spot or wrinkle. I bring before you an offering of praise, an offering of worship. Why? Because I love you. Everything that we do has to come from a place of love. If it does not have love, it will have another voice. And some of us have been putting money in this box, expecting a reward and nothing's been happening. Expecting a harvest and nothing's been happening. When we could have actually, before we put it in the box, allowed God to deal. Have mercy on my intentions, God. I have, we should have such a repentant heart before God. We should come before God as soon as, man, I'm telling you, when my wife corrects me about not indicating and moving into the next lane, I repent. Come on. Come on. <laughs> I, I, I do not want the enemy to have even his toenail in my life. Now forget about a foot, not even a toenail. Not because I am working, I, I want to work out my own salvation. The Bible says work out your salvation through fear and trembling. Of what? Being judged. And many Christians have been judging people. And they themselves are being judged. <laughs> With the same measure that they're judging other people. And then they send Facebook message. And then they send to the groups. Oh, I want to encourage you with this picture and this stuff and this stuff. That's all load of rubbish. Right. Stop doing it if your heart is not in right with God. Don't try to make yourself holier by sending out an image with a nice comment on it. No, no, you're exposing your heart to people. We've got to come into a place where we truly know what we're doing, man. Can't, we can't have this intention of like, wow, I need to present holiness to people, but behind closed doors, 
I live an unrepentant life. This is a foothold. Motives and intentions. Let's stand up. Let's stand up.